welcome to The Winning Agenda with me, Jesse Marshall, and Hollis Echo. Uh, Hi, Jesse. Wilfie Horrig. Hi, what's up? And Damon Stone. Hey. Here with us for the first time, actually in the same room. It's amazing. As opposed to on about three or four different continents as we were at one stage, trying to coordinate (laughs) a Skype call. This is much easier. It's much, much. You ah, can so see your smiling faces. So. Yeah, and you know that we're actually smiling. Yeah. And Wilfie's not tapping on a keyboard for the first time. No. In the middle of us. <laughs> really, this isn't going yet edited, right? You're just no, it's really definitely Exactly, yeah. yeah, sweet. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Damon, uh, I guess we wanted to sit down and ask you a few questions about the upcoming cycle that we've seen a little bit spoiled of, the, the Red Sand cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I called it at one point the Mars cycle because I couldn't remember the name and that seemed like a, a good Close replacement. Enough. Close but, enough. Yeah, I, I think Red Sand is simple enough. I've now implanted that in my memory and we're ready to go. Excellent. Um, so tell us a little bit about, this is your second cycle at, at yes. the helm of the lead design and develop, lead developer position in Android Network. Yeah. Both. Yeah. <laughs> um, All of the above. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen most of the uh, first cycle you designed, the Flashpoint cycle, come and go. Uh, we've seen a few different approaches to some things, uh, some things like the 3.0 bioroids expanding on old mechanics. Uh, are we likely to see anything in particular out of the red red sand cycle in terms of either mechanics or approaches to car design that you think would be interesting for players to know a little about? Uh, yes, sadly, there's not much I can tell you about <laughs> it as of yet. Um, of course, you know I have not the authority to spoil things that are yet to come, but I can tell you that my general focus on uh, this set is not overly dissimilar to Flashpoint, which is really sort of thinking about what makes Netrunner Netrunner. I mean, you know, as a weird sort of question as that is. But to me, it's really about, you know, scoring agendas, making runs, um, stealing agendas, and the back and forth uh, between the corp and runner, you know the early game, mid game, late game, and the attempt to rush to get to the spot where you are strongest if it's a bit later, or um, win or slow down as much as possible if the early game is really your your, your jam. So as much as I uh, could, I tried to make the cards really center around those sorts of elements. Yeah, so uh, one of the cards in this cycle that we've seen so far that's really done that has been Temujin Contract. Mm-hmm. And it's a card that's got a lot of attention because some people feel that, that the power level is high, which it is. Uh, we're seeing in a lot of decks here. Um, it's certainly pushed with those 20 credits starting on it. But at its core, it's a card that rewards um, plays for running and for yes. making successful runs. And it's brought back into the meta a whole lot of cards that support that play style that also reward you for su- successful runs like Data Sucker and John Masanori and um, other successful run triggers. And that's in turn shifted the metagame very much from what we can see back towards decks that do try and make successful runs and are quite interactive. Um, are we likely to see more runner cards that reward successful runs or do you, do you think there was any uh, particular hole, I guess, in either the runner or the corp strategy in terms of runs, whether it was ice or... Um, I definitely think that for a while there, a lot of players were uh, on the runner side were focusing on making as few runs as possible. Um, they were trying for the high value runs, which really encouraged the court players to um, go into a one of two directions, either you know big 
ice, um, or I should say big, well-iced servers. So getting through, if you're only making one run, it doing a fair amount of damage to your credit pool, mm. um, and then you having to uh, stack back those credits, or going really wide with a lot of assets, because if you're only making one, maybe two runs a turn, if that, mm. then I know that if I lay down two assets, at least one of them is likely to stick around, quite possibly both, if you're going to just build up for a turn. And if I keep doing that, I can just keep that lateral growth going. Mm -hmm. So um, having something that really encouraged the runner to run frequently, I thought was really necessary. Um, it's one of the things that Wizard actually does. Wizard encourages you to run and you know, having those three credits to be able to smash stuff was incredibly helpful as that um, that lateral growth, that asset spam mm -hmm. um, became particularly popular. Uh, but a lot of players have um, been switching over to, on the corpse side, to minimal amounts of ice and frequently just low cost gear check ice. Um, I think it's part of the reason why Faust was really popular if I can get through you know with just one icebreaker and only having lost a couple of cards to do so you know that's that's a really great deal on mm. my part and part of the the reason that I saw a lot of players moving towards the Faust <coughs> David um, uh, icebreaker suite was because it was really two cards sweet and what that seemed to do to corpse was they either had to play as you say really really beefy ice that was really impactful um, or just play gear check ice or no ice at all. Yeah. And I think the beefy ice wasn't really good enough, so people tended to play very few ice that were just for gear checking and protecting mm. their centrals from siphon or other things early, maybe trying to sneak out some points, um, or playing no ice at all pretty much, yeah. aside from the hive in your asset spam deck. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, in, the, in the last cycle we've seen um, some of these beefy code gates come out, DNA Tracker, uh, Morseless is soon to come out, um, and Fairchild, Fairchild 3.0. Um, was that a deliberate decision to try and beef up those sort of mid-range ice? Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think that the problem was that the, uh, the beefier ice wasn't good enough. I think that it was, um, when you have a choice between paying seven or eight for something that is going to keep someone out for a few turns or paying zero to three for something that's going to keep them out for a few turns everybody was gravitating towards the zero to three the mm -hmm. really low cost gear check ice which makes you know makes a lot of sense uh depending on the kind of deck that you're running um but those ice had very low strength so a parasite frequently if it didn't instant kill them uh with the data sucker or two counter then it could or they would become obsolete ice with no meaningful credit tax the moment they got out the appropriate breaker. Um, and so I think it just became, I think there was sort of a locked mindset between uh, players for the corp that they were playing and the runner that they were playing. And they wanted to run and be fast and be able to get money and do things. And the corp side, because that was their own mentality from the runner, they were trying to make corp decks that operated in a similar fashion um, I want it to be lean. I want all the cards to be, you know, impactful. And if the runner is going to just be able to smash through my ice at some point, why invest a lot of money in it? Mm. And I think that that 
works really well under certain circumstances, but big ice that forces you to find a gear check and then, or find a, an icebreaker of the appropriate type and then is costing you three, four, five, six credits to get mm. through every time is super meaningful, but it does require the corp to have the money and the patience to find the ice and then be able to afford it to resident in the first place. So, Damon, there was um, one other question I-, I wanted to ask you before we move on from mid-range ice like Fairchild, uh, and that, that is the the types of subroutines seem to have diversified quite significantly. You know, we started off in the core set with trash program subroutines and and the run, and we've diversified quite significantly from those days. We've now got uh, the corp having choices on Fairchild, which is not really something we've seen before, um, as well as a DNA tracker like cards that actually tax the runner some credits. Uh, regardless of whether they have the icebreaker or not, right. um, which is, I think, really interesting design space in terms of affecting the economy of the game. You know, when the court pays to invest in ice, they can put back the runner in terms of some resources, hand or programs in play, but directly taxing them credits just from subroutines, mm-hmm. I think has been really cool. Um, are we likely to see more development of subroutines on ice in different directions, more Definitely. addition of different subroutines to end the run ice, things like that, some diversification? Uh, definitely. Um, the the idea of sentries as being the damage dealers and barriers being um, the run stoppers and code gates being the weird things that sometimes do a little bit of everything and oftentimes do something completely weird and sideways uh, will remain. Okay. Uh, those will still be the primary functions of those ice but don't be surprised to see you know a barrier that does some sort of damage at some point mm-hmm. you know uh, a century when well, we already have a century that has in the runs <clears throat> so like there will be other examples of interesting things um, coming through but of course when you start getting non-standard subroutines you can expect to pay a little bit more the strength to be a little bit less okay um, and one thing you mentioned there I think was uh, in the run on centuries as an example and it seems as though sentries and code gates have both been able to borrow a little more from the space of the other ice than barriers have uh, throughout the course of the game. Um, and also you mentioned you know, the uh, getting right exactly how much an end the run subroutine costs and how much strength it has and how many subroutines it has. Mm-hmm. Um, as the testing has gone on, has one of the evolutions that's happened been a realisation that barriers and end the run subroutines if they're going to cost more and be beefier ice, need to have a little more to them other than just ending the run? Um, I, I don't know if that is really a thing that I would say has been proven uh, as necessary in testing so much as it is a thing that... It's a thing that has been proven by the way that players think. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I do firmly believe that having these barriers being costed in this fashion with this many subroutines that are straight into the runs or in the runs with some sort of like you know sprinkles on top Mm -hmm. um, is good enough that it should be played I think that a lot of it is that the meta where it's at right now and therefore that's where the players minds are which includes our play testers Mm -hmm. are really looking for looking for other things or that they don't want to play barriers that just do this and so I think that it's necessary to ensure that there's always some things out there that are tempting people to play with uh, to play with barriers um, just like I think that it's always necessary to have things that are going to tempt people to play that 
mid uh, mid range and late game ice, the the medium size and large size ice. If everything is just the smaller ice, then um, the game becomes very quick uh, and I think actually um, kind of stagnant. Mm. Gets to a point where sort of the cop can't really win once you have all your breakers out and it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Inevitability. Yeah. yeah. Uh, once it gets down, once you just look at everything where it's just all efficiency, um, that's when it becomes really easy to have a solved game. Is this, you know, thing that I'm putting on the table more efficient than this thing I put on the table? If the answer is yes, and they do the same thing, then I just never do the other one. Yeah. Um, and so if everything is about gear check ice and everything is about the um, most efficient icebreakers, then everybody very quickly starts running the same kind of icebreaker suites and um, same sets of ice, and the game starts to just get boring. Yeah. yeah. So, Damon, I have a question for you. It, in the current meta where we see a lot of Temujin and uh, the prevalence of Anarch, um, we also see that uh, the current rumor mill is played often. Now... While Rumor Mill is fantastic, because if you if we go back a year and a half ago, we saw the meta very much dominated by decks that were heavily Glacier, using Caprice, Nisei, uh, using Ash, things like that. It seems as though it, the, the feeling is at Worlds so far has been that the Glacier decks really are fairly underrepresented, and it's primarily due to the fact that Rumor Mill just exists, knowing uh, the card blanks those kind of protection, uh, or uh, protection upgrades like Caprice and Ash, makes it a very difficult uh, consideration when, when building your deck. Um, what is your approach as far as bringing that level of control back to the corpse? So are we are we is it, are we are we going to see is it just going to be playing an extra current now or is it there's going to be these new goodies new ways to score out of a remote right right um, ah, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what I can say and <laughs> what's going to get me in trouble. Um, I would say that Glacier is underrepresented um, unfairly. I would say that while Rumor Mill is uh, problematic for the concept of, well, all I really need is one piece of ice, maybe two, and then an Ash or a Caprice or both. Um, or if I have two pieces of ice, maybe even three, but I have a Marcus Batty in there and then I can you know, play these sorts of games. Um, I, I think that it's been exaggerated. I think that Rumor Mill... Rumor Mill has a place. You know, uh, an entire deck type should not res revolve around the did I get my protective upgrade on the table, and if I did, then I can stop you from getting in um, long enough for me to score and not just be the thing that defines Glacier. Glacier existed before those cards did. Um, Glacier should exist now that Rumor Mill is. Is it as much of a sure thing? No. But I don't really believe that anything should be sure um, for the game. Like it, There's always some level of rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock going on. Like <laughs> I've got this thing, and it can beat that thing, and it can beat that thing, but this thing and this thing beat me, and then it's a, you know, a wash between these others. And that to me is sort of a a healthy state for the game to be in, as long as there are multiple options and it's just not literally rock beats paper, or paper beats rock, rock <laughs> beats scissors, scissors beats paper, as long as it's not just three 
things like this runner beats this corp and this corp beats that runner and that runner beats this and that's all it is and everybody's only playing these two three four decks um, including with both sides then then it's fine as long as you have to sit there and evaluate what am I likely to see you know this time around this thing just came out and so I think it's gonna be really popular so if I go left when everybody else is going right then I'm gonna have an advantage um, one of the things that's dominated the metagame for the last few months since it came out has been controlling the message, NBN, uh, and it really ushered in an era where now tags are everywhere. We've got a whole lot of new tag, tag management cards, yeah. um, new ways to leverage tags that don't involve any of the game. And I know that that was one of your design philosophies for NBN, which w yes. was we don't want them to just be killing people with their tags, we want them doing other things. Um, yes. And exchange of information, uh, observe and destroy, all these cards are giving NBN more options. One of the perhaps uh, issues, though, has been the, the power level of that and how much it makes uh, runner decks either have to respond, particularly to CTM, just because it is so powerful from that first turn in combination with the political assets. Uh, I guess, firstly, do you foresee us being in a tag store meta for quite a while, given the power of that? Um, and uh, perhaps answer that second. First, um, did you foresee uh, CTM being used with the political assets in this way and that sort of deck coming about? Um, and what do you think of that? Um, it does not surprise me. Uh, I had a deck that was similar to some of the styles that were out when we were playtesting, and a number of the playtesters were definitely rolling decks like that. So it, it's not a surprise. Mm. Um, controlling the message has caused the meta to shift in a particular direction and I think that is a good thing overall. Mm. The question is how long is it going to be centered around that one identity and this one idea of Tagstorm. Um, Tagstorm has not been a thing and we've wanted it to be a thing from the beginning. Okay. Um, so we finally hit a spot where it's operating as expected. Um, insofar as like, oh my god, I've been tagged. I've got a lot of tags on me, and now I have to worry about these three or four different things. Simply having a Plascrete out doesn't mean I can ignore all tags. Yeah. Or, you know, uh-oh, they might double scorch me. So I have two Plascretes, I'm good to go. <laughs> or I have Plascretes yeah. and I have, you know, I've had worse. I don't fear the tag. Well, yeah. now you're fearing the tags. Um, the question is, is there going to be a way to deal with uh, that beyond the playing around it? Mm. And the answer is yes. Okay. Mm. I guess that does come back a little bit to our early discussion of ice because as we know, the relative power of anything and how dominant it is in the metagame is also about what the power of your other options are. Yeah. And we don't just want power of everything scaling up infinitely because that's just an arms race that doesn't get us anywhere fun. I agree with that 100%, but yeah. there are definitely some people who believe otherwise yeah i want this to be more powerful i want that to be more powerful I'm like i get it it's a dangerous you know it's a, it's a slippery slope you have to know when certain things should be boosted and when certain things should just be allowed to stay where they're at trusting that people are going to gravitate away from things that are currently making it weak so mm. it's 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 hard to predict. I rely a lot on my playtesters, and I, I honestly think that we have the best playtesters in all of, all of the card game universe. Um, I mean, like, there are some companies that are much larger than ours with games that are much larger than ours who have 
dedicated testers who are members of you know that company they're employees and they make a salary our play testers are incredibly passionate um, amazingly skilled and great people who just love the game and they're passionate about that and they put their time and effort in trying to help shape the game that they love and they do an amazing job Shout out to the playtesters. Shout yes. out to the playtesters. Good job, guys. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, um, we know that rotation is a topic that has been on many people's mind recently. It's going to happen after Red Sand. Is that right? Uh, yes. The, the Red first Sand cycle. Yes. Yeah. After the, the during when the first pack is released for the cycle after Red Sand, rotation will hit. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, would you say that this has kind of heralded a new a change in the way that you design cards because I know that of course in the core set it's probable that you guys didn't foresee rotation happening at least in the way that did maybe um, but now that it's become not only when it was announced it was kind of at this nebulous point in the future like some number of data packs later when the format would have changed immeasurably but now that it's not only coming but coming soon has would you say that that how has that influenced your design decisions uh for the most part um i think that it has not had a an obvious direct impact um like my my design decisions are really based on what i think is going to be fun and interesting and so i will always opt for fun and interesting cards um, now, fun and interesting in a specific sphere and going in this direction or mechanically results in this or fills this particular niche within the game, that is certainly impacted by the rotations. Like, you know, Jackson Howard is going to rotate. We're going to need to have a way for people to deal with agenda flood. So everybody's eventually. Are we going likely to, to get... see something other than what we've already got? Oh yeah, absolutely. Everybody is going to get at least one way of dealing with having too many agendas. Mm. Um, some of them are really obvious, right? So like, uh, preemptive uh, is a really great example of like, oh, okay, well, this very clearly deals with me having agendas in my discard pile. It is not instant speed. Um, it means that I'm going to have to bluff whether or not what I got rid of or agendas, or I'm going to have to ensure that my uh, archives is iced well enough that they can't get through at least on the very first, on that same turn that I'm getting rid of things. Like there's stuff that has to happen, you know. Um, is that going to change the the cost for the corpse of just doing business? I guess uh, having to potentially ice archives a little more than they do in the era of Jackson, where we often see it uniced. Well, before Jackson archives was getting iced uh, a certain amount because noise was uh, mm. prevalent for a little while, and then noise started going away right about the same time that Jackson Howard came out. Um, although when people were complaining about it, I kept trying to get people to recognize that. Noise is the best answer to Jackson Howard, not the other way around. I mean, you only have so much ability to recur cards, and if you're spending your Jackson Howards to recur agendas rather than the stuff that's in your deck that actually 
empowers you better to win. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, so that was a really great card, and you want to get your sure gambles back, or you know, um, your archive memories, or your um, scorched earths. Yeah, scorched earths. Yeah. Um, your biotic labors. You want yeah. to put those back in your deck so you can use them again and keep doing the thing that's allowing you to win. But now you actually have to use them to get your agendas back in there, so you just don't instant lose. But of course, now you're also increasing the agenda density in your R and D. So what you know, noise wasn't a, a particularly good way of you know handling all of that. Uh, but <laughs> sorry, I digress. That's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Back to archives um, ice and the cost but, of that for corpse over the game. I guess. Well, was there. we have sneak door beta, and we have Omar, and we have retrieval run, and we have numerous cards. Temujin and Temujin well. is yeah. another example yeah. of effects that are really great to target with archives or require runs in archives. If you are not putting one, maybe even two pieces of ice on archives, um, I'm assuming it's because you're not facing anybody who's playing those cards. If you're just going to concede to your opponent that they're going to get 20 credits off of your archives without at least putting something in there that mitigates that, like I question whether or not that's really the best strategic I guess, choice. I guess there are other ways for runners, uh, so for corpse to mitigate credits or the other effects or accesses, things like that. But there isn't necessarily a way for corpse to mitigate agenda flood without Jackson or to mitigate their opponent having points, <laughs> with well, the exception I mean, of exchange. Uh, or as a board. Yeah. Um, but it, it can be, you know, if you are flooded and you have to pitch agendas and you have to protect archives, that's money that you're not spending protecting your R&D and HQ. And often games are finely balanced enough as it is that if you're not planning to be able to lock down archives in the way that you lock down R&D and HQ, doing so can really take away from your ability to do that on your other servers, I guess is the point. You know. Well, I don't think that one should be able to lock down a server. Yeah. Just okay. like I don't believe that a runner should have free access to every server, even if they have a full rig. It yep. should still require some good play. Hmm. Uh, that it is possible to lock down two of your servers is mostly because there hasn't been a threat to that we're making archives get locked down is important. Hmm. Uh, so that, I think, is just an example of players recognizing that oh this actually matters like I have been ignoring it mm. but maybe I maybe I shouldn't maybe I should be building my decks in a fashion that has enough ice and economy to allow me to do this so back to Wilfie's original question then I guess um, are we likely to see replacements for cards Jackson's obviously the prime example mm-hmm. are we likely to see replacements for cards that allow you to do the same thing but in a slightly different way at a different speed? Is that the philosophy that you've taken with planning for rotation? Um, For cards that I have uh, deemed important to how Netrunner is played, and Mm -hmm. when I say how I deem, it's basically me looking at things from a mechanical level as well as looking at what players are doing and what they're expecting to do. Mm-hmm. So I may personally think like, oh, that card is not at all important. But if it's showing up in a bunch of people's decks and my playtesters are like, yeah, when this goes away, like everything changes. I don't know how I'm going to do this, that, or the other. Then I need to take a look and say to myself, is there anything else that allows for this deck archetype or mm-hmm. to encourage this play style? 
Two, two great examples of those sorts of cards, I guess, from the first two cycles are the Operation Economy cards for each core faction and the three for two agendas from the first cycle. Um, we'll take Economy or Agendas first. I think they're two separate. Agendas. 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 Sure. So the three for two agendas have been widely played, Project Beale, Project Vitruvius in particular, but also Project Atlas as the only three for two in Wayland. Uh, are we likely to see more three for twos, firstly? And then I've got a follow-up for you. Uh, I can answer that. Okay. Um, the follow-up then is, are we likely to see agendas that, um, and this comes back to the discussion about ice and remotes and scoring agendas out of remotes, are we likely to see more five for three and four for two agendas, those ones that you generally score over two turns that help you score the next one? Because um, one of the weaknesses I find with playing those Glacier decks is that even when you get to the end of the game and you're taxing them out quite a bit, it's really hard to score those last couple of points because you just run out of a little bit of gas. And if you got a little bit of a bump from your first few agendas, you might have been able to afford to do everything a little <laughs> bit better. Um, are we likely to see some things that help with corp tempo, I guess, in those larger agendas uh, in no, the future? That is a phrasing of the question that I can't answer. Yeah. Yes, you will see some things that will help with corp uh, tempo. Okay. Uh, in the agenda space? You will see some things that help with corp tempo. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, I would love to give you an answer. As a matter of fact, if you want to find me again before the end of this weekend, maybe, you know, maybe Quietly. I can. I yeah. can. I've, well, it, you know, maybe I'll talk to some people and they'll say, yeah, you can totally tell them about this thing or that thing. Oh, but, cool. But without that, all I can we'll, say we'll is edit that it you, will in. Yeah. you will definitely uh, have some things that will help with corp tempo, period. End of statement. Excellent. Um, so back to economy then. Uh, so those economy operations have also been staples of decks, um, particularly Sweeps Week um, has been very important, but Celebrity Gift and um, uh, Green Level Clearance and Blue Level Clearance as well. Uh, are we likely to see some operation-based economy to replace those cards, or are we going to shift in a different direction in terms of how corps have to make their money? Um, I wouldn't call what will be coming replacements. Okay. Um, Operation economy is just a facet of the game. It will always be present. Um, I couldn't say that, well, when this one goes away, this will be its replacement. It's just that when that one goes away, yes, there will be others. Hand-waving. In that faction, probably. Yes. Yeah, each faction will have sort of have access to some effect like that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I think that's good for people. Any, any other effects from the first couple of cycles that you guys want to discuss or themes you'd like to ask about from those cards that will be going out? Or anything, Damon, that in particular that you had in mind when you were thinking about these issues with rotation? Um, one was not specific to rotation, um, but to rounding out the game, which mm -hmm. is what the first cycle and then a little couple parts of the second cycle were really about as in flashpoint and red sands or the first two uh, no, no, oh, no. The first two as in, yeah, yeah genesis right. and spin yeah um is the idea that there are there are distinct like archetypes and play styles and that most of most of the corpse sort of had a very distinct identity centered around one thing and then as we sort of developed we start seeing more examples of other things right so wayland was the i'm going to you know i'm going to kill you with big damage um Hosbyroid was the i'm going to gain some clicks and be super efficient and i'm going to be able to score out before you can 
um, easily stop me because I'm just going to have more clicks to do things than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you having to spend your clicks to even just get into my servers. Um, NBN uh, in the course set was kind of an odd place. It was a bit of the fast advancement and a bit of the tag punishment. Um, it never really quite um, sat real well with either one in a easy mind space. Like, you know, we had NBN decks here in the company that did especially well, um, you know, operating out of the core sets, but it was because they were really intended to be hybrids. Um, the tags weren't meant to specifically, like, kill you. It was only maybe one scorched earth in, you know, in these decks. It was, oh, well, okay, well, you just floated some tags, so I'm going to go ahead and remove your hand, which is going to force you to have to spend some time drawing up, and while you're doing that, I'm going to rush out these uh, few agendas very quickly. Mm. Um, uh, but So replacing those strategies from the first two cycles. Uh, not so much was... of replacing the strategies um, is what I'm talking about, that as um, sort of refining them yep. a little bit, but also ensuring that the things that were not specific to a uh, corporation, as in like, this is what this corporation does, hands down, period. Um, making sure that that gets represented in the other corporations. Like the idea of fast advance is not a Wayland thing. Fast advance is not a Wayland thing. Fast advance is not a um, Husbyrid thing. Fast advance is just a Netrunner thing. Okay. And so, you know, that's where we end up with uh, Jemison Astronautics yep. as Wayland's version of fast advance. So ideas like that, like, oh, here is this thing, an archetype for uh, a deck that is not represented in this faction. Is there a way to do it that is uniquely this faction? So rethinking the Kalapai in a slightly sort of second stage way, is that? Um, so how can we perhaps link an effect that a faction didn't have with its theme so it gets it but in its own way? Is, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't think of something like... I think there's a difference between um, mechanics of the game and color pie. Like, okay. fast advance works in NBN in it for a very specific in a very specific way for a very specific reason. The way what they're doing there is part of their color pie. Because well, they have the right? cards, right, as well. They, they have the cards though to do it, which was a big part of it. Sure. Well, yeah, yeah but it's the it's the idea of lowering the amount of um, advancements that I needed to put on right. a card is an NBN thing. Okay. The fact that it enables fast advance is not. Right, okay. Right. Um, that I can get extra clicks to do stuff with is a Hosbyrid thing. The fact that I can use it to fast advance is not. Okay. And so that's what I mean. Fast advance is just a mechanical aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, NBN and uh, Hasbiroid have specific things that they can do in their own flavor that will allow for fast advance. So Waylon, one of their things from the core set is forfeiting agendas for effects. Mm-hmm. So Jemison allows them to fast advance by forfeiting agendas. Okay. So that is sort of what I what I mean. No, that's that's great clarification. Um, I think w- before we finish up, uh, we've got a round to get back to playing here at the, the World Championships. But before we do finish up. Um, Wayland is another topic that we've spent a lot of time talking about. I think the community has spent a lot of time talking about as well. Uh, for me, a lot of what's difficult about Wayland comes down to probably four things. One is agendas, one is ice, <laughs> and the other is 
how do you... Operations and assets? Score those agendas. <laughs> no, I think the, the operations are okay. <laughs> okay, um, sorry. This assets, though, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how do you score those agendas, I guess, is the, the big one. So they don't really have a plan to score through a remote, and they don't really have a plan to fast advance at the moment in faction. Um, we've got Jemison Aeronautics coming out, uh, but other than the tempo aspect of Wayland agendas, which does exist, is there philosophically another way that you now foresee Wayland going forward and scoring uh, out? Has that been part of your thinking? Helping yes. Wayland to score a, a bit better, I guess? Is that a way of phrasing uh, the question that you well, can answer? I would, I would say that, I mean, Wayland had a very high win rate early on in the game, and people have just sort of abandoned classic Wayland. Okay. Um, the idea of I'm going to get a bunch of money and then I'm going to be able to res anything and I can res it and get this money before you can get enough money to get through. Um, I can beat you in the traces necessary to tag you and then I can kill you were all things that Waylon did really well and the other has, has Faust and Runner Economy though caused that to drop off a bit? Like for me those are two um, really? I think that the Runner Economy has only recently gotten to a really strong point. Okay. Um, I would say if we looked at if we looked at about a year and a half, two years ago, when people were already declaring that Wayland was just dead, um, the runner economy was not in a particularly you know like robust place. Mm-hmm. People had just sort of you know written it off anyway because they were just so used to the idea of I'm going to SCA and then I'm going to scorch you. And once everybody was slotting in Plascretes, people just started gravitating away from Wayland. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the idea of Glacier has some real strength in it still. But to answer your question, yes, they're definitely going to get some things, some things that are going to bring back um, some of that glaciery-ness. There's going to be some things where it's just big money Wayland. And I think that there's a few decks here at Worlds, uh, at least in the Icebreaker tournament right now, that <laughs> are doing really well with getting a lot of money and killing folk. Cool. Um, one last question before we go. Uh, this may be something that is going to be answered in the rest of this week before we go to air. Uh, but there has been some speculation about the mystery product at the end of this cycle that's listed on <laughs> FFG's website. Are you able to tell us anything about, about that? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a blank space. It's like, what is it? I don't know what it is. I don't even know. Uh, This is the first I've heard of it. All right. Well, on that note, thank you very much, Damon, for taking the time to sit down with us. Absolutely. Um, But that said, you know, any announcements that we make are always on our website. And, (laughs) you know, maybe you should visit that in the next month or so. Really? Okay. (laughs) Okay, Cool. I mean, you know, every week. Yeah. <laughs> once, once a week, you know, it's not asking too much. Or, you know, every day during your lunch hour from now until, I don't know. Eternity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure, why not? Well, thank you. Thanks again, Damon. This has been uh, The Winning Agenda with Damon Stone, lead developer of Android Netrunner. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this coverage from Worlds, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. See you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.